She's not scared of it. I'm not scared of it. And if you're scared of it, then you better not be scared of it. You've got to figure out how to use it because otherwise, this is what's funny. That's how Brent talks to his kids. You're scared of it. You better not be scared of it. The people who are scared of it are the people who are going to be replaced by it. Benji and I have something in common. We are both Green Bay Packer fans. We're from Packer families here. So I grew up in South Florida, but my dad was always a Green Bay Packers fan, I think, because like the Dolphins didn't quite exist when he was a kid. So he'd watch TV and the Packers were always the uh, football team on TV and he kept that forever. And so I met my husband uh, seven years ago or so, and he was a Packers fan and that was just like an automatic in with my dad. So they had that together. But our child is definitely getting like deeply brainwashed. She's two and a half. And like the clothes my husband puts on her like in the mornings for school. So if I'm not there, which like 90% of the time I get my kids ready (laughs) because I don't know what's going to happen. This morning my husband did. And so the outfit we got was pretty exciting. And I'm going to show you both. We're wearing this to school today. (laughs) <laughs> yes that's like a I 90s windbreaker maybe that's what pretty thick yeah a jersey i had to put the bow on that was the only thing i could add i was like can we at least give her a bow she's wearing a jersey and like a giant ski jacket i married into a packer family but we live in minnesota so my son has been saying like that he wants to watch the vikings a whole lot because he sees like every time we go out, Viking stuff is everywhere. And he goes, what's that team that like grandpa and uncle Johnny cheer for? We're like the Packers. He goes, I want to cheer for both. I was like, ah, <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's how it works. <laughs> I have so many pictures, Allie, growing up of me in Packers gear. And then when the Packers and Broncos played in the Super Bowl and the Packers lost, I got really sad, really depressed, ran upstairs, was bawling my eyes out. And there was all these older kids that were watching the Super Bowl with us. And they came upstairs and they were Broncos fans. And they started telling me, well, you could just be a Broncos fan. And I came downstairs and I was a Broncos fan for like literally the next like 10 years. And so I have this gap in fandom where I like didn't wear any Packers gear. So now as an adult, I feel like I'm going back to my childhood and I'm tempted to buy every Packers sweatshirt I see, every Packers hat. I have all the gear. And so I am, I very much approve of that outfit. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. So on this episode, we want to talk about a recent report, uh, the 2023 State of Content Marketing Report. And do you know how to pronounce his last name, Allie? I think he used to be at Animals, Jimmy right? Daly. Jimmy Daily. Okay. So co-founder and CEO of Superpath now. And Superpath has a job board and career resources for content marketers. They did not sponsor this episode, but I know that can be uh, a valuable resource for our audience. So you can go uh, check out Superpath if you'd like. But their report was really helpful because they talked to nearly 700 content marketers and the top titles surveyed were head of content, content manager, and content strategist. So that's not a small sample size. It's a pretty good amount of people to discuss this with and and their titles I, I think are important too. So what I wanna do with the three of us in this episode is I'm actually gonna pose some of the survey questions at us. I'll have each of us talk about it 
from our perspective, and then I'll I'll read the results of these questions. So the first one, and this is just like a an emotional question. How excited are you right now about the future of content marketing? So I'm going to throw that at Allie first because you have uh, the most content marketing background of the three of us. Right now, as you are thinking about the future, scale of one to 10, how excited are you? I'm really excited. I'm actually, if I was going to give it a number, I'd give it an eight and not go all the way 10 just because I'll just be honest and say change is sometimes scary, right? So I've been, I've been a B2B playbook marketer for the last, you know, seven years of my career, eight years of my career. So it is a, a huge shift. Like I got really into SEO and I don't think, I think we'll talk more about SEO in this episode. So I don't think that was ever an issue, but you know, I got really into SEO. I got really into blogs. I got really into organic traffic and bottom of funnel content and all of those things. And now we're seeing such a shift away from that like playbook, that standardized way that we all worked. So I'll give it this, those two points go to just being a little bit nervous about doing something totally different. But I've, I've talked about this before. I think like my original days when I was a new content marketer, a new marketer in general, I was much more creative than I am now. I would think of crazy ideas and kind of execute on them. And I got pushed out of that by being so focused on stats and numbers and conversions and things like that. And so I'm so excited to be a creative again. I also like, I'm actually on the side working on um, my own content strategy for Sweetfish and B2B growth. And I have like time carved out in my day-to-day to work on it. I'm going to jump in some flow clubs and um, really focus on it. And just thinking about the way that a content calendar could be created for some reason is something that really excites me. And that's interesting because I don't, I, content calendars historically have always been the one that really feels like the biggest lift, but also the scariest send. But right now, just because we're breaking into so many different mediums, we're trying so many different formats, we're getting really focused on audio and video and like how one topic can be broken into so many different ways, into so many different funnels, um, into so many different mediums. And what that actually visually feels like and how that cohesively comes together excites me. So yeah, can't wait for that. Brent, anything you would add on just like your excitement as you look kind of over the, I know you're more in social world. Yeah, but I'm not, the, the thing is I'm not as excited and I want to tell you why. Because we, we're coming out, like fr- from what I do, we're coming out of an exciting moment. The exciting moment of the pandemic was the rise of TikTok, was the rise of kind of this short form content. Man, I, I feel like I'm going to regret saying this. I feel like it's peaked and we're waiting for the next thing. Like every business knows they have to do TikTok now. Every business knows they have to get on short form content. And every business knows they have to start like making their own brand and making a natural voice. I miss the days when an audience was dumb. Those days were so easy. Now the audience is smart and I hate it because people know when they're being sold to and no matter how smart you think you're being in creating your content for marketing purposes, you're probably not doing as good as you think you're doing. And I hate that because everybody knows when they see an ad, they know when influencers are trying to sell something because of that culture. Influencer culture was good, but it made people smarter. So now if you don't have a genuine, truly genuine, you know, voice when it 
it comes to your product, you're going to fail. And that's really, really, really difficult for businesses that do anything B2C, B2B. It's really hard. So like every business feels like they're creating an expert mode right now. And I'm ready for the next thing to drop for us to figure out because, you know, when, when TikTok dropped, it changed the landscape of creating content. It didn't matter if you were doing podcasts or anything, it had an effect. Everything had to be quicker. Everything had to be more punchy. You had to grab attention right away. Whereas, it wasn't like that before TikTok. So we kind of adjusted and now we're at the point where everyone's there. And I'm waiting for what the next thing is for Gen Alpha, which is coming up now, to have that kind of impact on the media landscape. So it feels like we're waiting for that thing that everyone's going to hate, that parents are going to panic about, that businesses will say, we don't need to use that, that we can be the first ones at. So it just feels like we're like, it's the calm before the storm right now, which I don't necessarily like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, give me a, a ranking though. One out of ten. Allie said you said eight, right? Eight, yep. Yeah. What's your I'd say six. I like when things are a little chaotic. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna say right now I'm probably closer to an eight as well. And I think the main reason is because of the space that we're in. There is a gap between knowledge and actual execution, and that excites me. There's people that see and talk about creators, but there is not a overabundance of what I would say quality creators within B2B. And then you can, B2B is still such a broad, that's not even a niche. You could go into any specific niche and then you start to really, you can think about creators for tech, creators for finance, creator, and like when you get into those specifically within B2B, teaching people that have a lot of knowledge in something, how to be a creator or talking about creatives, figuring out how not to just make assets, but be creators, that starts to get really compelling to me. So I got hired at Sweetfish and was frustrated when I was looking for a job before I was hired here because content marketer was so niche and it was very much what Ali was describing. And now I feel like honestly, the role has expanded to a place where I'm like, oh, I could now, (laughs) people would understand what I've been doing for the last few years. Like it it just feels like we're in a different space than we were a couple of years ago. So I'm pretty optimistic. There is so much in this report. So we got to fly because we have already spent so much time because we're, we got a lot of opinions here. Here's the next question. Wait, what was the answer? Mine was an eight. Across the board, we were right in there. Seven was actually the highest. Over 150 respondents said seven. Eight was like right behind it. And then yours, six, was tied with 10. So there was like about 100 respondents that said, "Eh, I'm like right in the middle, kind of where you were, Brent. And then it was a little surprising to me. 10 is like- No, you know who those 10s are? You know who those 10s are? It's like the boomer generation or like the the (laughs) CC. Or like, we finally got on, you know, these new platforms and we're making cool content. I'm like, no, that was three years ago. You guys just arrived and you're excited about something that's not as exciting. That's what that is. (laughs) Okay, here's the next one. How secure do you feel in your current role? I'm going to actually just tell you the answers to this one because I don't think for the three of us, it quite, uh, like, I don't don't think we need to spend as, as much time here. But Seven was the top again for this one. And everyone was kind of in that six to eight range. That was where people were as far as security. But I think what's interesting about that is the the number one thing that comes up around like 
context of, of how secure you feel starts to be like AI. It's a lot of what Ali was talking about with like, if you were hired as a traditional writer, like what does the future kind of look like for you in your role? And then specifically within tech, which they did not disclose how many people were specific, like, like tech, but we've seen so many layoffs. We've seen a lot of chaos within the industry for content uh, marketers. I've seen so many job posting, like people leaving jobs or needing jobs. So I think that does cause some concern. And and just looking at the landscape going, what does the next few years look like as we adopt new things, as companies' budgets are different with just from a global perspective, things that are going on. Um, so I think security becomes a question that's not just about platforms and am I good at my job, but like, will companies continue to have this these This is why it's so budgets? important though. Like when it comes to any sort of like marketing job or creative job, the thing that I always need to focus on and that I encourage people to focus on is what makes you unique. Like there are things, no matter what you do creatively, if you're a writer, if you're making video, whatever it is, there's always something that you can do better than everybody else. And there's, things that you can offer your company that if if you don't feel secure, you better know that if your company is going to let you go, they're going to have to settle for something else. And if you have that feeling, then that's a good feeling because it means you're going to bring that somewhere else. If you don't know what you bring your company that they could just put any old person who's average at best at what they do in your seat, then you're not and you're not like reaching your full potential and you're not showing what you can do. Yeah. I totally agree. Ali, I want to get your take on this one. I thought this question was really interesting from the report. The question that was posed was, what concerns you most in your current role? And they said, for this question, respondents were asked to check all that applied, which resulted in a somewhat even distribution of answers. But one factor had over half of respondents worried, which was driving results. We've seen that in B2B as content marketers, like being able to explain the results you're driving from the time that you spend creating an asset. But the second most was changes in Google search. And then the third was communicating the value of content marketing, which driving results and communicating the value are often very tied together. But I just wonder, as you saw those responses, anything that really stuck out to you or maybe that you resonated with? I'm happy to see AI as low as it is, but I those first three make so much sense to me. I mean, driving results is what it's, it's kind of tied to the dynamic of like the CEO marketer relationship that you see so often talked about on LinkedIn. You know, um, I think the CEOs are always so focused on bottom line results and marketing historically, especially content marketing attribution has been such a challenge for us. And so I'm still surprised that this has been such a problem for so long and we don't have the best answers to it, to be honest. Like, where's the tool that's going to save everyone? Um, we've been diving into this a lot internally and we've found like some tools that we're really excited about. So I'm hopeful that maybe we're getting closer to solving this a little bit more, at least on our end, on what we're doing. So um, it's been really, really fun to like test these tools and get them implemented. And I can't wait to see what it like brings to us in the future to be able to show. So yeah, the importance of being able to communicate the value of content from top of funnel all the way through especially speaking to what you were saying earlier, Allie, about like wanting 
I think across the board, I see people wanting to try more creative stuff. You talk about like the mix of art and science and we watch the pendulum swing in content marketing where you have people that are like very data-driven, very scientific. Then you like go to the other side and it's like all creative, like throw stuff at the wall. And I, I probably lean more towards the second because I also, my job is pretty top of funnel, but I, I love watching people get back to this place of like, I can communicate why this is important and we're executing, giving away really educational or valuable content, but we also know how this fits into a larger strategy. So uh, I, I hope people continue to be able to really communicate that and that you follow people on LinkedIn who are helping communicate that. I feel like there's so many people that are like, no, this is how content's helpful and this is how it works for our business. And I just like wanna see that more and more. You spoke to AI and they pulled that specific question. They said, on a scale of one to 10, how concerned are you about AI and its impact on content marketing? So I'll ask Brent, scale of one to 10, what do you? What would be your answer and what do you think respondents' answers was? Is 10 I'm super concerned? Yes. I would say I'm a two. Mm. Like I, well, he, here's the thing though, because I think... Like, is it going to change the landscape? Yes. Is that a bad thing to me? No. Like to, to me, it's it's more exciting and fun that that's coming along. And it's one of those things where I'll get to my guess what I think people said, but my thing is AI is not going to go away as much as people might hope and pray and, and, you know, everything that they want to get it to go away, it's not going away. So if we don't adapt to it, then we're going to fail. So I would guess it's probably like a seven or eight, but I'm not as concerned because it, to, to me, that's the fun in it. If, if you're, if you're doing content marketing and you're not someone who enjoys a little chaos of changing times and changing ideas, then you're probably in the wrong job. <laughs> <laughs> Was I close? Oh yeah. I mean, I'll let Allie guess, but yeah. Yeah. Allie, you go first and then I'll, I'll say my piece. Mine is like personally a five because I've, I've actually been seeing people posting about like, I think some of the most valuable content marketers right now are learning how to use automation and learning how to use AI. And I always historically, like I've, I branded myself this before AI, so I'm just going to say it, but I've always been a content marketer that didn't define myself as a writer. Like I felt closer to a lawyer. Like I'm, I'm, solving a case. I'm, I'm stating my case. I'm showing my facts, all of those things. So I think like, I understand exactly what you said earlier, Benji, like if you've always been a writer, why you might fall higher. And so I totally get that. But I think if you can kind of change your positioning and think more towards like, I'm here to make an argument and show the facts and make them really solid and easy to understand, then and then also like lean into automations and tools and having fun with it and getting technical, then I think, you know, it's easier to be kind of in the boat where Brent and I are both like, where it's like, let's embrace it. Let's go with it. This is fun. Yeah. Size of company seems to matter a little bit here too, because what types of roles you could replace or how much money people are investing in their own large language models is also important. Like if you're just gonna get generic stuff back, then people that are doing middle of funnel or bottom of funnel written content, I mean, over time, right? Like even sales enablement content, if you could train a large language model 
on your product, that thing's going to be able to pump out a lot better content than like outsourcing to someone writing a blog who doesn't really know that much about your product. I actually, that's beneficial to a company. So from like a C-suite perspective, I'd be super high on AI. But if I was a content marketer who, even if I'm evolving in a niche, you're going to have to really think differently. So I'm interested in the application of it. And I naturally love Brent, what you were saying. I like change. I appreciate it. So I don't personally feel scared by it, but I think we have still yet to fully understand in the same way that we watch the internet continue to evolve and change. And all these things pop up like year after year, new platforms. We are in like literally the very beginning of AI. Let's see, but the thing is, I feel so blessed because the I feel like the one job that is probably scared the most is writers. And, and that's understandable to me. But we are so blessed. Like our, our lead writer here is so fascinated and so passionate about AI. She uses it as a tool and she trains all of her writing Lancers to use it too. And she's educated me a ton, Paige, our, our lead writer. And it's so cool to see her kind of embracing it and seeing how writers can move forward with it and learning from it. And she's teaching people, you know, how to prompt with it, all of that. She's not scared of it. I'm not scared of it. And if you're scared of it, then you better not be scared of it. You've got to figure out how to use it because otherwise the, the, this, is, this is what's funny. That's the how Brent talks to his kids. You're scared of it. You better not be scared of it. The people who are scared of it are the people who are going to be replaced by it. Yeah, I definitely see that. And you don't want to be a late adopter. I will say with video, I love video editing. It's not something I do in my day job, but on as side projects. And I have clients that I work with that know that I like video editing and they'll send me like tools and AI things that they're like, hey, you should look into this. They know that we do video for them. And none of them are like, hey, we're taking this back in house because they still need to outsource their video production and none of them are specialized in that. So it makes you better at your job and it could make you quicker and it could give you ability to then work on more creative uh, pieces to that, right? And it enhances at its best the overall quality. So to me, like I'm so glad that <laughs> Autopod exists or Descript exists. And I'm not trying to hide those things because they make us all better. And then you just, I'm consistently impressed by the quality of video that you can see people create now because of the democratization of these like products. It's like super easy, few bucks a month. It's no longer like Adobe hidden behind all the stuff. You have to go watch a bunch of tutorials. Like, you can do this if you want to get good at it. And I, I love that application of it. So can I, can I share the one like personal thing that I use AI for that maybe I, I don't know if I should be ashamed about. I use AI to help me respond to difficult emails. <laughs> That's Great awesome. use case. Great put, use case. I, I input the difficult email into AI and write, how should I respond to this email? I want the tone to sound blank, blank, blank. And I don't copy paste, but it gives me a good framework that I can then take from. And I'm like, it has like saved me because I'm someone who's so short with my emails that I can be taken as like rude or whatever. Cause I just write like, okay, sounds good or something like that. So it's helped me. But the funny thing is I'll share this. My wife, I had to send a long email to like for something I was volunteering for. And she came right up into my office and goes, you did not write that email, did you? And I was like, dang it, it's, it's that obvious. <laughs> 
Oh, all right. There was one quote under this and oh, let me tell let me tell the results first. So, how concerned are content marketers about AI and its impact on their jobs? If this was like a test, the 7 would be C on multiple choice. <laughs> if y'all were in school and you were always told like guess C if you don't know, 7 felt like where everyone went with this overall report as I was reviewing it. And I think that's like to say overall like you don't want to be a 10. You don't want to be too extreme. I, it just felt like that was kind of the catch-all number. But there was a quote under it. And Ali, I specifically wanted to bring this up to you as just like, I'm. it's something I'm curious about. Because my immediate re reaction to this quote, I was kind of like, I don't think I agree, but maybe I'm thinking of the wrong use cases. So there was a quote from the co-founder and content marketer at Influence Alchemy. And I'll just read the quote. I'm not overly concerned about AI being a threat to content marketing. Rather, I see AI as a partner that will help a lot of what we said. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But then goes on. While I foresee AI taking over top of funnel content, it still leaves room for content marketers to excel at middle of funnel and bottom of funnel content. Other forms of content, say original research, white papers, et cetera, as well as distribution strategy. I thought the almost not, I don't want to say the exact opposite, but like top of funnel where you have the most opportunity to have someone like personality wise, engage, create content that like people want to connect with because there's like thought leadership or like, I feel reversed. Does that make sense? Am I thinking wrong? What are, what's your take on that? Sentence? I love that we're bringing this up. I'm like, as, as okay, soon as ahead. you started reading it, I was like, yes, talk about this. <laughs> I was so excited. Okay. I think I've had conversations with James about this as well. I think that this is probably a very common viewpoint of content marketers. Like we, and you have to remember back to the playbook, like that we were talking about earlier for the last, like until this year, I think. I, James and I are, are running a similar survey, not as intensive, but we're asking like the top 100 content marketers some questions. And one of the questions we want to ask was like, where was your focus in the funnel the last two years? And where was your focus in the funnel now? Like, where does the distribution break out? And I'd love to see those answers. And I wish I could come to it now. But that is how I think a lot of uh, content marketers do view AI. It's a great way to create top of funnel content. But I would also say that shows that a lot of content marketers don't view top of funnel content as valuable right now. They're not seeing it the way they need to yet. And I think video and podcast, you know, audio, social media is way better for top of funnel content. I think it's a great kind of area for that. So, you know, this person is probably very writing focused and that's why you're seeing that. I would say writing and then also like maybe paid ads. That was my other top of funnel thought because I do see some really great AI applications around like image generation or like if you were trying to sell a D, D to C, like direct to consumer product, awesome. AI could just generate a billion images for you. You can see it, you can interact. Like I see it there, but it is, I, I am very encouraged that you're saying what you're saying. So keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I just think, I think we should all, like, if you also have this viewpoint, we're not saying that it's wrong in any way. I think it makes total sense. I think if you would have asked me this question eight months ago, I might've given you the same answer. Just to be totally honest, because that's how, what where we came from and that's what we've been pushed towards. And that's, you know, 
what makes sense to us. The bottom of the funnel content needs the most time, attention, detail. You know, it's the most important because it causes conversions. So I just would challenge you to start thinking differently about top of funnel content and trying to dive back into it and finding it fun again and seeing there's a lot of companies out there that are really cool that we all talk about all the time within Apollo and Lavender and stuff like, you know, Clary. And they're they're doing top of funnel content again, and they're making it really fun and cool. And, and you can too find that fun, cool top of funnel content that you're not going to want AI to touch. Allie, you know, you sound like you're giving dating advice, like get out there, <laughs> just give it a try. Try the dating apps, try these. <laughs> I'm a very positive person, Brent. So I just automatically go that way. <laughs> I love how excited you get on this. I think that is sort of the, like the gap to go refine your take on right now is top of funnel to think through like, if you can engage someone that doesn't know about your service or your product in a way that feels personal and like they are going to connect with a human from the beginning, especially in B2B, if you don't overlook that while everybody else is like, oh, AI can take all of that, the rest of the experience for that person or that company seems like conversion could go up significantly. So I would be very focused on that, even if it's just running tests on like organic content, growing an audience, things we talk about here, but like we're all pretty excited about that because I do think the shift in perspective hasn't fully happened yet, which brings us back to the very beginning about why I would say I'm probably eight overall excited about this stuff. We have made a decent dent in this report, but we did not cover everything. We did. We we made a decent dent. I'm proud of the work that we did. But is there anything else we, we didn't cover that stood out to either of y'all before I kind of highlight a YouTube channel and we wrap this thing up? I haven't looked at it. I'm just reacting. You, you just said you wanted me to react blindly. So I haven't looked at the rest. I got to look at it now. I think if, if anyone's like, definitely go to like superpath.co and check out this, this report after we have a link in the this. description we'll too. add the link in the description but there's some really cool more ai like takes in this report that i found like how people are specifically using ai the most common areas i thought was really cool it's really high in brief creation which i was testing out ai for brief creation right when chat gpt came out so like in just january of this year and i still wasn't getting there so it seems like people have found ways to use ai for brief creation and it's expanded and gotten better so um, really cool to see, but I would dive into some of those AI stats and, and everything else in here because it's an awesome report and it's just so well done. So um, props to Melanie who uh, helped Jimmy write this and Jimmy as well for just putting this together. I've um, had a communication. I've, uh, I've hopped on a call with Melanie before and she is lovely and she's an excellent writer. So this is amazing work. Yeah, this is their first time doing this, but they're making it an annual report. So I think you've done it before. Oh, really? It said the no, this 2023 has been uh, this is our first annual survey of content marketer professionals. They've done some sort of reports before, but gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, if they if they start benchmarking this, that would also be pretty interesting to then like be able to look at previous years or or see some pivots in, in people's thinking. Okay. Closing out, I'm going to highlight a YouTube channel real quick. I want to highlight Timothy Sykes. And 
I will point out a few specific things because his whole deal is like helping you figure out how to trade penny stocks, which might not seem like it super applies to B2B content marketers. But if you are trying to grow a YouTube channel, uh, if you go to Timothy Sykes Trader, that's his uh, his handle on YouTube, and you look at his profile, I just, one, I, I appreciate uh, how he has it set up, the different types of videos he's done, whether it's like, day trading 101 or he has 30 days of trading he he's really like figured out ways to uh have different types of videos and then his thumbnails are great but also i've been kind of studying on the side like what do people almost an elevator pitch like what's their one sentence pitch and he has it in his his cover image he says i turned $12,415 into 7 million $7,500,606 by trading penny stocks. So the numbers there, just a quick lesson, the specificity of that saying not 12,000, but 12,415, it piques all of our interest because it sounds more real than if you said you turned 12,000 into 7 million. It's right at the top. So now you see what he's done. So it highlights expertise. And then in that image, he also says three plus new lessons weekly. He tells you how much content he comes out with and he has a call to action. It says, join my challenge. There's a ton of people that have joined this challenge. So he gives a quick, like, this is your next step. Awesome, you've landed on this page. Now what do you do? And you could start with the challenge. So I wanted to call out his page because I've found his videos to be really helpful. But I also think just practically speaking, how you apply some of this, like you could apply those lessons to your YouTube channel. So Timothy Sykes, Timothy Sykes Trader on YouTube. Go check him out. With that, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Allie. We'll be back. Cheers, friends. <laughs>